Podicumans. Welcome to the Podicesis podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters. I am one of your co-hosts, Brett Maddox, and I'm joined once again by your very best friends, Alan Kaysen and Jim Morrow. What's up, guys? What's up, guys? How are y'all? Hey, what is that I hear? Is Alan? that Alan Kaysen? Alan's back. I, I think Alan's it's me. Back. It's me. Alan's I'm back. back. I'm back. <laughs> Better oh, than man. ever. We are so excited to have you back, Alan. And, uh, you know, let's just already uh, take this time and give a big thank you and shout out to uh, Rebecca uh, Duke Barton, who filled in for Alan and came in and was a great uh, guest co host um, uh, for that. And we were so excited to have Alan back. But, Rebecca, you did awesome. And uh, we can't wait to have you back. Uh, and since we've, Brett, been talking about uh, sin in the catechism so often, I feel the need to unburden myself yes, of please. a particular sin that you are also a part of. So I'm confessing for you too, and you can't stop me because we're recording from a distance. We, Rebecca actually was so gracious. We offered her your spot permanently. And what we were going to do is an elaborate story where we had disappeared and you'd never find us, but we'd keep recording with Rebecca. She said... <laughs> I can't do that because I'm such a good, kind soul. So, Alan, um, you're the recipient of more grace. Well, I, I really was worried. Um, didn't, didn't know. I didn't know. I, you know, I, 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 I was really wondering after you guys you know, took a step back and you realized what it was like with me not there that you would just continue on forever without it. So, um, uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate you guys, uh, passed on the zoom link to me today. Yeah. So, so. uh, humans, you need the hashtag keep Allen and, uh, let's <laughs> yes. get that, let's get yes. that trending so that Brett doesn't make this awful mistake again. Yeah, well, and, and and Alan's contract is coming up in a couple of weeks. And so I need to hear from you, Podicumans, if you want to keep Alan. Hashtag, Hashtag keep Alan. Keep Alan. Yes, if I start trending know. on Twitter, holy moly. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Let's make all five of Alan's friends uh, trending. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Uh, but no, we're so excited to have our Podakesis community with us today. Um, and we are, again, so very thankful for Rebecca for being with us last time as we talked about um, uh, that question number 16, did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? We were talking about the scope of sin, how it moved throughout all humanity, that we're all guilty. Um, Jim, are there any loose um, ends that you think we needed to hit up? Or have you heard any comments about that um, episode? No, I just loved how um, we were able to reach into our local geographic community with a lot of a lot of response. Uh, people loved Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca, you're listening. Thank you for all your contributions. I think we just had a, a good discussion and some uh, nothing stands out uh, from that particular yeah. episode for me. I do want to give a big shout out to a friend of ours, Robbie Polk, and uh, who left a comment Robbie. on uh, yes, uh, who left a comment and a five star review on iTunes uh, for for us, and uh, just want to say a big shout out. There's other comments there, but I don't know who they are because they use nicknames that I have no clue who they are. But Robbie used his real name, so Robbie, <laughs> we give you a big shout out and say thank you for that for that comment. And you, if you would like to like us and and uh, give us a five star review, head over to iTunes, look us up and uh, give us that review. It actually does help us on um, iTunes um, with their podcasting system and how they do things. So help us out with that. Yes, Jim. What now? I, <laughs> I thought you had something you were pointing no. at me. <laughs> All right. This there is was a, a big, mer there was a big surge. Uh, we might need to find some Podakesis merch up in here. 
Oh, merch. Yes, yes. Merch. Well, let, let us just say that we are working on the merch angle of things, and that announcement will be coming soon. So keep Ooh. your ears nice. open. Um, hey, by the way, if you want to know what's going on in the Podakesis world, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, at Podakesis is where you can find us. And I'm also going to invite you, before we get into this week's answer, or a question from the uh, catechism, um, I do want you to stay tuned to the end of this show for a sneak peek into another offering from the Podakesis podcast that we are bringing you. I'll tell you more about that at the end of our show today just like all church people we love special offerings yes yes absolutely except this offering will be not coming from y'all to us but from us to you so there you go there you go there you go okay are y'all ready to get into the catechism for this week Let's, Let's do it. it. Let's do it. All right. All right. So we are going to be looking at two questions today. Two questions. Question 17 and 18 from Wesley's, John Wesley's revision of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, we're bringing these two questions together because they, they go together. Um, there was really no reason to separate them out. And so question number 17 um, go, uh, says... Um, I'm sorry. Uh, question number 17 says, into what estate did the fall bring mankind? What into what estate did the fall bring mankind? Well, the fall usually brings me to the fine estates in Rhode Island where I can leave peep <laughs> at all the autumn foliage. Uh, no, that's well, I've not- been to Rhode Island and I've seen those estates, but that's not what we were talking about. Yeah. And oh. I, I, I was amazed last week that y'all were able to come up with the answer to the questions last week. Well, that was Without Rebecca you. who did that. So I just with me say. not here, but I'm here and I have the answer. And the answer is the fall brought all mankind into an estate of sin and misery. Oh. That's right. Absolutely. Into a state of sin and misery. We're the fall with- brought all mankind into a, a state of sin, misery, and continued Pumpkin spice, everything. But I think we're talking about a different kind of fall, aren't we? Well, no, because pump, that pumpkin spice is a as a as a uh, evidence of the fall of humanity. Oh, I just want to say it's, that. A, it's an evidence of sin and misery. Yes. And, <laughs> and the scope of it, because it's everywhere. We've so. lost all of our listeners. <laughs> yeah, they're like, what? No, what's going on? What's going on? Naturally, I preachers know. in their preachers' jokes. <laughs> I'm just playing on the word fall. We're talking about the first sin. Absolutely. And we're going to talk in the next episode uh we'll be talking more about this uh this being in a state of misery um because that questions we'll be dealing with then will be particularly dealing with that issue what we want to talk about today is this uh continue this idea or this talk teaching about sin itself and its scope its reach and what it has done and then we get more of that in the 18th question question number 18 um wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate into which man fell, wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate into which man fell. Let me tell you. Yes, please. The sinfulness of that estate into which man fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness, and the corruption of his whole nature, which is commonly called original sin, together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. So we, we we already, and we hit on this in the last episode, this idea of original sin or sinfulness being in a state of sin, and then the transgressions or the, the things that come out of that. And so um, this is an important part of the discussion that we have to have to be in sin, but to also sin. 
um, right. becomes part of the discussion. And so let's go ahead and start looking at some scripture proofs. If you're new to the podcast, what we do is we look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism or John Wesley's revision of it. And then um, in that catechism are scripture proofs, uh, pieces that uh, from the Bible uh, that will um, uh, point to uh, these questions and answers. And so we're going to start off with Romans chapter 5, verses 10 through 20. All right, Romans 5, 10 through 20. This covers um, uh, in it uh, both uh, questions 17 and 18. Um, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, Death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Mm. And uh, if you'll go ahead, that 21st verse, I think, kind of finishes it out nicely. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mm. Mm. Man, that's some deep, deep theological Yes, in uh in 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 Romans. Um and what you need to know about Romans is that Paul is moving from a discussion about um all have sinned, that um uh, the the wages of sin, I guess the wages of sin comes up in um in chapter six, but all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see in chapter one the effects of sin, um, how it manifests itself throughout human nature from the very, very beginning. And so Paul is moving into this argument now about what the um, what the cure for it is, and it's a beautiful thing that he does when you see this movement in um, in in the book of Romans um, that Paul lays yeah, it's out. It's very for us. clear from this passage in Romans that we have all fallen into this state yes. of sin and misery. And um, I think it's important for us to also realize. Notice that Paul doesn't start off talking about the law; he starts talking about at pre-law, pre-Moses, pre-he's Adam mm-hmm. and Eve. This is he's covering yeah. everybody. And one of the discussion. one of the things that you can see in uh Romans is Paul's writing to a diverse crowd, uh 
likely in the beginning addressing, uh, in my estimation, a, a group of Jewish Christians. Yes. And so one of the things that he's going to do is he's going to break apart and lay break apart any pedestals anybody might want to be sitting on about their own righteousness and say, everybody, uh, whether you are following the law of Moses or not, is in need of grace. And now everybody can be grafted in uh, into Israel. So he's making a really broad claim, not just that salvation is for all, but all are in sin and in need of right. salvation. Right. Like, absolutely. You have the kind of uh, the, the universal connection of humanity is our fallenness. Um, and so then you see start seeing um, the universality. I shouldn't say, you know, be careful with that. We're not talking about universalism here. We're talking about, <laughs> <laughs> and it's very easy to get to that. But uh, universality, I can't say that word real well. The, the, um, the enormous scope of God's salvation as well through the death and resurrection. Hey, can I Jesus make a Christ. quick side note? Yes. Uh, and you can um, you can at me in the comments if you want to, folks. Uh, that point that we were just talking about, about how he's addressing, say, for example, the Jewish Christians early on, and then it broadens the scope to the universality of all people. Um, I want you to consider, if you will, reading Romans through that lens and see if it doesn't change your idea of what Paul means when he says the word elect. Mm -hmm. Right. And yes. he's talking about a corporate election uh, versus an individual election, because Romans isn't written to a man named Roman. It's written <laughs> to a group of people right. in Rome. Right. So um, that might, if, you, if you've ever wondered, uh, maybe you're a Wesleyan and you've ever struggled with the word elect or elected or election in the Bible, uh, especially in Romans, then then why don't you try reading that way? And if you've if you're not a Wesleyan or an Arminian and you've really been frustrated by your Arminian friends, why don't you take a look? You might be able to have better or more informed conversations. Well, and that's a really good tease, Jim, because in the next uh, in the next few, at least in the next uh, question or two, Wesley. Uh, strikes through that word um, elect. Oh, and so we yes. Wesley to, we, went we, revision crazy. He didn't went he? revision yes, on that, <laughs> and so we'll we'll have to talk about that even even deeper. Um, right, absolutely. Here, so. Yeah, and that's in the next episode. Absolutely, hey guys. Yes, I have no shame about making side notes about things that'll come up later. It just whets our appetite like a good mozzarella. That's stick. right. We're we're looking forward. That's what we good Christians uh, yes, do. Is we look right. forward. Um, so one of the beautiful things that also sticks out to me out of that Romans passage, just one more uh, to say one more thing, is this idea of reconciliation. That reconciliation mm. that is highlighted there, that there is fallenness between in, in humanity. There is this this thing, if you want to call it that, that is between us and our Creator. But then there is an act of reconciliation that takes place, not by, by what we do, but by the act of that one man, Jesus Christ, who we will be dealing with um, uh, in, in future episodes here uh, shortly. Um, and I do want to read to y'all. Um, so I was reading from uh, the Wesley One Volume Com Bible Commentary, which is a great uh, resource for anybody, clergy or lay person, to have on their um, to have on their uh, bookshelf. And um, I was reading uh, the commentary section on this uh, Romans passage, and this is uh, the author um, uh, Burroughs was lifting up uh, a. John Wesley quote, and uh, this is the quote from that passage about this very thing. He says, uh, um, as John Wesley emphasized throughout his career, the effects of salvation are not only communal, but also personal. 
Those who receive reconciliation through Christ by the indwelling Spirit experience a, quote, quoting Wesley, divine evidence or confidence of His love, His free, unmerited love to me, a sinner, a sure confidence in the pardon mercy wrought in us by the Holy Ghost, end quote. Uh, Wesley, what he is wanting us to get to is this understanding is that we can have confidence, we can have assurance that that reconciliation has taken place in us personally uh, because of what Christ has done. This was really big in Wesley's life. You see this in what he writes about his Aldersgate, Aldersgate experience, how he um, I, it, it personalized his salvation, his 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 um, reconciliation to God, um, and he's bringing this out for us and, and laying this out for the rest of us as well. You know what I do like one more little bit out of this Romans passage is by connecting, by Paul connecting sin and fallenness all the way back to Adam, he does, he gives us one, no escape from the truth um, that all are in sin and need of grace, but he also um, helps us to understand that what we've talked about a couple of times and what we see in this question is that there is a corruption of our nature as well as willful acts of transgression against God. Right. Because right. If, it, if it comes through Adam, that is before our chance to will and act. And therefore it, it's a part of our nature. And as the catechism states, it is the lacking of our now original righteousness by which humankind was designed and the corruption of our nature. Once again, we see it as a state we are in and acts of transgression that flow or proceed from it. That and, come from that. Absolutely. Well, and I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but um, do it. it. I find it, it, isn't it. So it's easier for us to focus on the acts, right? Because yes. we, yes. we see those, right? right? I mean, and especially the big ones we love. I mean, we love to point out, you know, the extramarital affair, the, um, the, I don't know, the, uh, the stealing, the lying, um, those, those big things. Um, and yet, and so we want to manage those. We want to manage those transgressions mm -hmm. without understanding that we are all in this state of sin. Yeah, we have um, a heart just, issue. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I just think the part of the question 18, I just find it interesting that um it's the corruption of the whole nature which is commonly called original sin together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. Right. Um I don't know, it's just an interesting way of of breaking it down. Um <laughs> You know, there's the state of sin, original sin, and then there is the acts of sin that flow from that state of sin. Mm -hmm. And what we have a problem is we focus on the acts and not enough on dealing with the state of sin. Mm -hmm. And and that's where I mean that's where the reconciliation has to really take place, where Jesus comes into place and so forth. But um, and until that happens, those acts are still gonna um, still going to happen. That's right. And, and it's kind of the same way. Have you ever noticed, um, that, uh, let's say to make it personal, like I might, uh, feel something towards another person that's not about them at all, but it's about what I'm feeling. And mm -hmm. so we call it projection where I project something outside of me onto somebody or something else. That's a way to take something out of me to deal with it because right. we don't like dealing with what's inside of us. And so it's easier to manage an external sin right. than it is like even my behavior once it's out of me than it is to deal with my own heart. In fact, we can take it out 
uh, man, a sin that's external now to us, say somebody has committed adultery that's out there, and then you can manage it with words. Like, for example, I'm holding an article right now by, um, uh, I think, still Candler preaching professor Thomas G. Long. Is he still the professor? Well, last time I checked, but... So the article is from a while back. The title of the article is, God be merciful to me, a miscalculator. Mm. You know, mm. so it's like a, a sin. No, it's just a miscalculation, just a mistake, just an yeah. error, just a lapse of judgment. Right. Um, but we're still, even then, Alan, not dealing with the heart. That's True. right. Because it says, because even a miscalculation says, I'm fundamentally okay. Yeah, it does. I just yeah. <laughs> that sin management is a is a failing game, and only one person can do it, and that person is Jesus Christ. Well, and, and to that the boom, there it is. And to that point, uh, Brian Russell, man, many episodes ago now, he he reminded me, uh, reminded us of a great verse out of uh, Charles Wesley's hymn "O for a Th- Thousand Tongues to Sing," and that verse would be, "He breaks the power of canceled sin; he sets the prisoner free." Oh. His blood can make the phallus clean. His blood availed for me. That wording there, by the way, he breaks the power of canceled sin. So we Christians, we have the good news. Sin itself, the the, the, the sin thing that enslaves us, that chains us, it really is a canceled thing. Yes, mm-hmm. we still fall prey to it. Yes, we still give into it and fall into the temptations and whatnot. But it really, we we there there is no excuse. I love how Paul puts that in Romans chapter one. We we are without excuse, you know, because he breaks the power of canceled sin. Did you hate that? Did your did your mom or dad ever say that to you? To you? You've got no excuse. You've got no uh, yes, all the time. Mm. Yeah, and I've said it to my kids too. So we'll move on. Um, <laughs> Let's take a look. Are we ready to take a look yeah. at another passage of scripture? Yes. Because there are a lot of proofs for these because they're big concepts, and of course we've lumped these together. So let's look at Ephesians chapter two. Um, Ephesians is beautiful. The first chapter ends with uh, one of my favorite prayers in scripture. Um, and then it says this, he's talking to a church that he's calling the holy people, right. the saints. And he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and mm-hmm. sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world uh, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Mm. Can I read the next part? Yes, go for it. I call this uh, one of the great butts of Scripture. Yes. Um, and I know, don't give me that I, look. But I this call is them the big butts of Scripture. The big butts? It's, this is yeah. one of those. Well, <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not, but when it comes to Ephesians, I like big butts and I cannot lie. <laughs> And for all of you who are about to tune out, let me explain. (laughs) Verse four, after saying that we were by nature deserving of wrath, says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Boom. By the way, that's one of Paul's favorite rhetorical devices in his letters. You can see it in Romans as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the wages of sin is death. But But, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So 
very powerful rhetorical device to get drive home a big point there. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, again, here, this is one of those things because in Ephesians opens, it's just beautiful. He's, it seems to be reminding the Christians who he's writing to about the great inheritance uh, and promise of being a child of God through Jesus Christ um, and all that God has blessed us with through Christ. But he wants to be uh, of course, it's part of his argument, but even to them, there is a reminder of what we were. It's almost as if without remembering the the state in which we are initially found, that by nature deserving of wrath, dead in sin. Paul doesn't say, you were in rough shape and needed a little help. He said, you were dead. <laughs> then by understanding and remembering that that maybe it comes to humility or or just the great amount of grace that it took to fill that up. So at any rate, uh, one of the things that I do like, and I'll see, I want y'all to share with me some of your favorite thoughts, um, is that it reminds us of, in verse three, we were by nature mm-hmm. deserving of wrath, not by mistakes, not by miscalculation, wow. not that we blew it when we were five. Dang it. If only we had better parents that didn't let wow. us in. By not name. simply by our acts, not our actions, you know, right. not simply by um, right. the right. sins, but it was because of our sin, our, our right. sin nature. I, um, you know, when you're reading it again, you know, it's like, it's like we're reading it before and then you read it and then I hear it again, you know, it's yeah. like this, just, um, thinking about the estate of sin and misery, we were dead in our transgressions. Um, We are the walking dead. Like the walking dead. Exactly. Um, I mean, we're walking around and we don't even, you know, we don't even know. You think about the zombies and walking dead. I mean, some of you are probably, you know, whatever, but um, (laughs) speaking of the need for repentance, I'm kidding. Go ahead. (laughs) They're mindlessly walking around. Yes. um, Destroying things destroying things with really, really no clue of what they're doing and um, purely operating own um, instinct, I guess, at that point, you know, um, mm-hmm. but, and, you know, cause it goes on to say um, dead in your transgression, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. I mean, like we don't have a clue. We're right. dead. We're dead men and women walking and we don't have a clue. And that is the state of sin and misery. Mm-hmm. Um, we're miserable. Oftentimes we don't know it mm-hmm. until, you know, we can go into, I mean, prevenient grace and God's justifying grace and sanctifying and all that God's grace comes in our lives and kind of opens our eyes, wakes us up. Mm-hmm. Um, but being dead in our transgressions, I mean, I think that's an adequate way of describing these, the, the, the state of and, sin and misery. It is. And for, like, imagine, of course, these the, the zombies are fictional. But boy, one of the reasons that these kind of stories are so popular is because they speak something deep to sure. humanity. Right. So when that zombie, for example, is getting a meal, and let's not get graphic, please, um, that zombie probably feels very satisfied. Yeah. And everyone who looks around is very horrified. Yeah. Well, we consider that, man, I feel fine. I'm not dead in my transgressions. But are you? But then they're but then they're only satisfied for a while. That's right. And so I mean, I mean, the analogy is going to break down really quick if we keep going. But right. um, But but you get there's something there. Right. Right. There's there's nothing there. 
that issue of craving keeps being brought up, right? This yeah. craving. That's why I think the zombie analogy actually works out well, especially in kind of modern understandings of it. This craving, craving that they are working on instinct, and that instinct is to satisfy a craving, something that is drawing them to. And this is one of the reasons why the ancient church had this huge practice of fasting was because it was not only to bring us to a place of of spiritual uh, needing of God, like understanding our spiritual need of God, but it was also a place to recognize our physical, literal cravings and how they can draw us and drag us uh, into temptation and sin and 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 not and giving in to the uh, the corruption that is part of our nature. Yeah. And so in fasting, uh, it's amazing if you focus on it, you d- we don't realize how driven by craving we are um, it's crazy. For, for, for things that we yeah. eat or consume. Right. Anyway, hey, is this the uh, last episode that'll come out before Lent officially starts on Ash it Wednesday? Is. It is. So yes. yeah, I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear, speaking of fasting, if you all have any particular Lenten uh, practices in the comments or let us yeah. know via our voicemail, we'd love to hear that. And if yeah. you're unaware of 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 land, it's the 40 days before Easter um, that uh, minus Sundays don't count yeah. Sundays um, yeah. that prepares ourselves uh, for the celebration of Easter by a season of fasting yeah. and prayer and um, self self reflection. It so. was also the time in the ancient church when the bab- the new convert newly converted would be baptized after a time of catechetical At instruction a time of catechesis. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, where they would come into full. Uh, uh, initiation into the body of Christ. And it was a beautiful, uh, beautiful thing when you read yeah. the history, history on that. You know, one of the things too about this passage in Ephesians, I know we need to move on, but uh, uh, was um, uh, this, uh, if you keep reading in that uh, chapter two, is that there's that stark contrast between life and death. Mm-hmm. Um, you see the stark contrast between humanity and God. That God is always uh, that God is always faithful. He's always strong. He's always doing whatever. Um, there's a stark, stark contrast between life and death, and I think that's on purpose. I think that Paul's Jewishness coming out, his understanding, particularly from the from Deuteronomy uh, and Deuteronomy 30, where Moses says to the people as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, um, "See, I've set before you life and death." Oh. So now choose life, you know. So this is this becomes the the framework, the lens for which uh, for which Paul will view life. He views the resurrection of Christ. He views um, who we are and 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 why he can say, "Look, you're without excuse. This has been from the very beginning. This is who we are, and this is who Jesus is, the one who brings us life." Now choose. Mm. So yeah. So before we touch, maybe we have uh, two more passages of scripture to read. Um, I want to just reiterate my invitation in the comments. I love hearing. Don't you all love hearing from our Potic Human community? Uh, yes. Yes. Amazing. Absolutely. I love to hear if you have any things you do for Lent. But also, uh, if you have if you have any things we haven't thought of about how zombies help us explain sin, yes, uh, I want you to put it. <laughs> yes. Help us. I just love the metaphor. I don't preach somewhere. So put it in the comments. Yes, please. Uh, please. <laughs> well, we've been nerdy enough for at least the next two minutes. So uh, let me share a couple quick verses from uh, the book of James chapter one. Um, I'm, the catechism starts us at verse 14, but that's mid sentence. And um, I'm a recovering perfectionist. So I'm going to start at verse 13. Okay. <laughs> when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
You know, what's interesting about that passage is um, this is where one of those things where you, uh, a text without a context is a pretext for, for whatever we want it to be. Hashtag Ben Witherington. Yes, this is why reading te- uh, scripture in context is so important. When you read that passage, you, you might think that, uh, you know, it does. It's dealing with sin and how sin can take us over, and and, and how where it comes from, and and the the dangers of temptation and all of this. Uh, but all of James is a a letter that is written to a community who is experiencing extreme persecution and very various trials um, uh, to the point where leaving Jesus would be an option for them. And so that's the temptations that. Uh, James is really getting at here is how to withstand trials, how to withstand um, uh, persecution, how to how, when life gets tough, when life gets hard, when it starts coming at us, um, what do we do? Well, we we don't fall into the temptation of giving up, and uh, I know that's been, that's a that's a huge temptation for me is when it gets hard, I want to give up. I want to give up. It gets hard. I want to eat ice cream and take a nap. And That's then, giving up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good word, Brett. That's yeah. a good word. Um, so, uh, and and to make a correction, uh, the Ephesians passage was about life and death. This passage was about the contrast between a faithful God and self-deceived humans, and that's uh, humanity. And that's an important piece because James will say that any deception that comes our way, it's because of us. We're self-deceived. Um, mm-hmm. And that's an interesting view that James brings along uh, to this as well. Um, okay, now we're going to actually go to the words of Jesus himself. And so uh, I'm going to ask everybody where you are to stand up in honor of reading of the gospel. No, I'm just kidding. Wow. <laughs> hey, 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 that's mine. That's what I'm saying. Uh, uh, we're going made, made up high church Methodist over yeah, here. Yeah, no, right? Why not? Uh, no, uh, but uh, this is from uh, Matthew uh, chapter 15. And I'm going to read the verse and then I'm going to read a little bit of the context behind this verse. And the verse is from verse, uh, verse 19. And uh, Jesus says, I call heaven and earth. Um, uh, nope, that's Deuteronomy. Let me go to 15. There we go. Here, Man, now this we're going to try to This boy Deuteronomy. Hold on, time out. There's a theme here. He only reads and watches old things. He only reads the Old Testament and watches movies from the 80s. That's true. That's true. All right. Deuteronomy 80. We're going to go to that. No. All right. So uh, Matthew 15, 19. Uh, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Um, now, let me read kind of the context behind that. Um, uh, verse 10, starting at verse 10, and he called the people to him, Jesus, and said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came uh, and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you saying, uh, when they heard you saying, uh, and he, he answered them, uh, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat what with unwashed hands does not defile a person. And the, the, the context behind this is the Pharisees were getting all upset because the disciples were eating 
without washing their hands, without doing a ceremonial cleansing of their hands before they ate. Um, this, by the way, was not a law from the Deuter- from the uh, Mosaic Code um, to wash hands. This was actually a more of tradition, an oral tradition passed on through the rabbis and whatnot. And the Pharisees are getting on to the disciples about doing this. And so Jesus uses this as an opportunity to say, look, it's not about what goes, it's about what comes out. It's what's, it's an inside issue. Um, it's a heart matter um, that, and, and that, that needs to be dealt with. And in that, I mean, that's, this goes back to what we were talking about at the, sort of the beginning. Um, here we are, the Pharisees worried about what's going on the outside um, when Jesus is talking about what's going on the inside. And, and right. it's so much, it's easier to talk about what's going on the outside because, especially when it's dealing with somebody else, because that gets our attention off of what's going on in our own heart. Yeah. Um, so it's Man, a great sin, little segue there. there you sin go. management is so tempting. Yes. You know, even, even we, uh, and I say we lose. You mean miscalculation? Right? Yeah, miscalculation. People who, you know, believers, people who are following Christ, it's so easy when we think about, you know, we want to get better. Naturally, we do. It's so much easier to try to manage our lives, our sin, our holiness than it is to yield um, and let God do something internal to us. Uh, It's also one of the reasons I wonder if when we talk about people who've been hurt by the church and some of the things that people say that maybe... um, you know, maybe you're heard wrong, truthfully, but maybe some theologies that are bad out there. A lot of it is a reduction of sin management mm. uh, to sin management versus real grace. Now, I want I want to say a word um, in defense of the Pharisees for a second, just yeah. in general. No, um, <laughs> no, because it's easy to to caricature uh, the Pharisees, and I know that the Gospels will use them as a foil for Jesus. Uh, very often for teaching. Um, but before we just say, hey, they're doing things of man, like we hear a lot of people say, or that's just ritual. Why Jesus says, we do a lot of that stuff too. Mm-hmm. I mean, for those of you who go to a church, uh, just think about um, whether it's a traditional church or a, maybe a more modern style church. If so-and-so doesn't happen the same way that it happens normally, somebody's going to get real mad about it. Right. And maybe rightfully so, because it's a part of the culture and community. And then it takes a while to get down to, is this really an important thing or have we made it an important thing? Mm. Uh, just see, don't pass the offering plates the same way that uh, we used to. Or um, somebody got up onto the stage and didn't let us finish three songs like we always do. I just can't worship when we don't have three songs. Mm-hmm. Those are the same kinds of traditions that the Pharisees have built. And it might feel similar to those huge things when somebody comes in, does them differently. So when you kind of take it like that, Jesus is really taking an even bigger risk um, in, in speaking. That's right. Especially speaking against a set tradition as ingrained in as the oral tradition um, that was coming out of um, uh, the, the, the rabbis, uh, uh, the rabbinic. Yeah. That's, that's, that's only a little scarier than when you, when we tried to take the picture off the wall at the church that had great, great grandma's Ethel's plaque on it, man, that was terrifying. I almost got thrown out for that one. (laughs) Imagine how bad it was for Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
So um, there's a lot in these questions. So we want to move into why it matters. And we've been talking about why it matters as it is anyway, kind of uh, as part of this. But uh, let's talk a little bit more about these questions themselves and and why they matter. And there's some themes that come out of this that are um, most interesting, uh, at least to me, um, the idea of original righteousness, for example, yes. that, uh, that, I, uh, that there was a, a way we were, mm-hmm. and now there's a way we are. Mm-hmm. And that there's a way we're going to be. Um, and that is what's, uh, we're not, uh, there's a great hope in that. If the church will preach that, that the great hope is we're, we're not stuck where we are. Uh, God had a plan for us. He created us and he said it was very good. And he's going to bring us back to that. There, one of my favorite, t- um, there's a great book called, um, not the way it's supposed to be. I'm reading so, that right now. There you go. It's a, a by Cornelius. Cornel- yes, Planiga. Planiga. Uh, um, who um, I think he's passed on now, but he at one time was the president of Calvin uh, College, I think it was. And uh, he did a great kind of uh, book on sin itself. And uh, it's called A Brevary of Sin, just kind of a short uh, treatise on sin. Uh, but th- his theme there is, it's not supposed to be like this. <laughs> this is not the way it was supposed to be. And he could not be more right. Uh, that the understanding of sin uh, from the scriptures is that this estate, as we use the language of the catechism, is not what we were created. This is not what we were created for. Mm. This is not what we were created for. There was something else that is better. And we're wanting to return to that. And that's what Jesus is doing or has done is making it possible for us to return to that. Uh, yeah. what, there's there's yeah, also, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go interrupt. Ahead. No, you're good. We do right. this go every ahead. episode. We should, yeah. we, should, uh, we should give people bingo prizes for when one of us interrupts <laughs> the other and yeah. then apologizes. <laughs> uh, and to take it down back further, like if we wanted to dig in just for a second to some of the Christian thinkers of our consensual doctrinal history, uh, Thomas Aquinas speaks quite a bit about the nature of humanity. He, uh, I like to think about... Uh, read a little bit of Aquinas when I want to think about the logical explanations of some of these things. And he talks about how that original righteousness is a part of our design because there's a connection uh, to God innately that God has created for humanity. And that in original sin, we are then left to our own devices without a central part of our design, which is that part that is connected and in deep fellowship with God. So there is a loss of original righteousness. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We. I think that's the key is to understand um, we weren't created for this. Right. And that's, that's the piece here that is so important. Um, that's why, so um, I, I'm going to give a title of a classic, classic text on Christian ethics, um, one that has uh, been uh, influential across the board, and that is uh, a Christ and Culture um, by Niebuhr. And, you know, what Niebuhr does in that book is he sets up, I think it's five paradigms of um, Christ, the, 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 basically the Christian influence in culture. And the one that is most fascinating to me, and the one probably the one that I ascribe to, to the most is the idea of Christ transforming culture. Um, because if this is not the way it's supposed to be, something's got to change in order to get back to what it's supposed to be. I have to transform, culture has to transform, creation has to be transformed. 
because of the effects of of of, of sin itself. I thought and that's so, what elections were for. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I thought I thought elections fixed everything. Well, you know, we we believe that, right? Like we we. we and I'm every, talking about political elections. Not yes. talking about the elect here. Um, but, wow, uh, just doubling down on controversial yeah. topics. Yeah. So, but uh, you, anyways, that's a, back to Christ yeah. transforming, which is I I'm I'm all for. No, you're hey. and you're, that's a we laugh at that, but. Alan, you're you're absolutely right. Think of the political season we just got out of, and kind of the political season that we're moving into. But yeah. the political season we just got out of was one of uh, either destruction or salvation. I mean, that was the language that was being used. Uh, vote for us, and we'll save America. Vote for us. Vote for them, and they'll destroy it. That yeah. that that's the issue that's going on here, and we in the church. We already have that type of language, but it's not political. When we make it political, it becomes heretical. Mm. What what we have the language of transformation that is eternal, that is eternally significant. And it begins within us personally and then moves communally, communally out into our culture. So uh yeah, we laugh at you, Alan, but that was actually very astute. No, absolutely prophetic point so thank you <laughs> um let me ask you guys a question so the 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 answer to question 18 um where you know wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate into which man fell says the answer is the sinfulness of that estate into which man fell consists in the guilt of adam's first sin which puts in then it comma the want of original righteousness mm-hmm. so the answer is saying that Adam's guilt is his want of original righteousness. Is that is that the way that I am? Um, the lack of want there means the lack, the lack of. of. Yeah, the lack of. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, so because, so uh, that's that's more in my opinion. So we're doing a little grammar. That's more of a uh, comma separated series than it is an appositional or adjectival phrase. So it appears to be the state is these three things: the Adam guilt of Adam's first sin, the lack of original righteousness and the corruption of thank his whole you. nature. That's thank it. you. Yes, absolutely. Uh, thank absolutely. you. But, but no, th- this is really important because it is hard. Like it, one of the reasons that this kind of Christian teaching in congregations and among um, people who don't make podcasts is not popular is because old stuff is hard to read. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. hard to read. And I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of new stuff is theologically nutritionally absent. shallow shallow yeah. it's just it's devoid <laughs> yeah. it's empty calories right. um and so sometimes we have to just say hey look this is old english let's figure out what it means in real english before we can even engage it and well, it's interesting because another way i was thinking of it was like uh uh adam his desire for original righteousness on his own. I mean, that, you know, is another way to, that I was thinking of it, um, which I guess you could spin it too, but, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah, um, outside of God's providing, um, you know, um, so anyways. So an interesting theological debate that I read about, which I really never even considered, honestly, was the idea of, um, 
uh, of the passing on on Ad- of Adam's guilt. Um, so we we talked about with original sin. Yeah, we kind of uh, touched on this last time, didn't we? Yeah, we we talked about with original sin that uh, uh, sin itself is passed on, um, and how it's passed on can be debated. Is it genetic? Is it this? Is it that? Um, so interestingly enough, Dr. Bill Arnold in his article or his commentary on Genesis in the one volume Wesley, uh, he's talking about Genesis three. And he talks about how the early church really didn't have a teaching or that much of a teaching on um, our understanding uh, of original sin today. That really came about from Augustine, um, Mm -hmm. the way we teach original sin these days, but that the early church really didn't have a concept of passing on the guilt of original sin or really of wouldn't even have called it original sin. What the early church would have just said is all of humanity is corrupt. They just Mm -hmm. are. Just all of humanity is corrupt. What Genesis 3 teaches us is all of humanity is corrupt. But what's interesting about that, and I do agree with him there, but when you read Paul, and you read particularly the passages we read in Romans and Ephesians, Paul really does seem to to, to go back to the reason that we are the way we are is because of one guy. <laughs> it's because, hey, yeah. By the way, one of my most favorite insults I've ever heard on TV, and I, I, you don't have to tell me who said it, and it's, why are you the way you are? It sounds like a, it sounds like a Michael Scott kind of thing to say. <laughs> but, but Brett, that's a really important thing um, because sometimes people mistake, hey, I'm just doing Bible stuff, not theology. Sometimes yeah, people will right. put them opposed to each other. But what Augustine did was nothing really new. But what's happening is from the age of the apostles, people are starting to live a whole generation of life in all of these texts and the truth of Christ and putting together. Right. They're not making anything new. They're just starting to name connections that they're already living with and connections that are in Scripture logically, mm-hmm. directly from the text. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, that's where doctrine comes from. Right. And not as if to say, well, original sin wasn't there until, or um, right. I guess Luther made this up or Wesley made this up. But what happens over the course of the church, which is why... I do not believe we ever need to erase and neglect tradition. Right. Some people will say, I'm Bible only, but you're not. You think you are, but you're not. Right. Um, Is that people have thought about these things and put names, a a, a name you can get out of your mouth for complex sentences that you can't get into your brain. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. And so that's the value. This is why we go backwards and talk about Augustine and uh, uh, Aquinas and Wesley and all these people. And the re- uh, give you an example of that. That is just every on everybody who's a follower of Jesus should have this in the t- on the top of their head is the tr- the doctrine of the Trinity. Mm. Um, yes, always there, not invented. Right, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right. There, right. the Word is not there. Trinity, Trinitarian, you know, but you're going to see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus' baptism. You're going to see yeah. it at uh, the Transfiguration. You're going to see it at Once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's exactly that's right. right. It's like that new car you bought. Now everybody's got the same car. Yeah. You see it everywhere. I'm looking for a truck, and all I see is <laughs> trucks right now. So, yeah, yeah I, I there, feel you. Yeah, so. absolutely. But the uh, Trinitarian formula gets 
ratified, gets codified, gets becomes an official doctrine of the church, official, like an official thing of foundational, this is what it means to be a Christian type thing, um, in 325 and 381 AD at the uh, uh, councils of uh, Nicaea and then the Council of Constantinople. So Not because they're like, let's make something new right. in addition to Scripture, but it's almost like, hey, all of us Christians, we've got something on the tip of our tongue and then finally somebody names it, and they're like, yeah, that's what I've been trying to say. Or someone names it, and they say, that doesn't sound right. So like that's the right. Council of Nicaea was mainly for, was a large portion for that, where you had these different teachings about the natures of Jesus that just didn't seem to jive real well with what Scripture was teaching. Right. So the church is having to come together and try to figure this thing out. So that little side trip was for uh, all of you to understand that theology is not about being correct and incorrect all the time as much as it is, is helping us to put in simpler language, even though it doesn't sound like it, the giant witness of Scripture. Right, right. and the importance for, uh, and I like how Jim Jim put that, that um, we, we are, it's not that we're sitting out there saying this is right and this is wrong, but there is right and wrong theology. There are right and wrong ways of thinking about God, and that just is... That's important. That's why theology matters. That's right. Good theology matters. Um, and uh, so, um, so let me ask y'all this, and I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because we it'll probably be eight, at this pace anyway, 18 years before we get through this topic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so old, Brett. Yeah. You'll have watched a movie from the 90s by then. <laughs> so, if Jesus, well, let me put it this way: Is it possible Ooh. not to sin? Mm. Yes. John Wesley said, you can be made perfect. So, in uh, you, dad being a, a preacher, you always told, you know, if you're not, so this gets an idea of perfection, right? Or, yeah, or sanctification, whole, perfection. Yeah, yeah, sanctification. So if you're not striving for perfection, what are you striving for? Mm-hmm. Um, Man, so, good enough. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know so I think uh, this is one of my pet peeves. And, and like, listen, and I, I, I fail at this man, spectacularly i mean because you're only human i'm only human right right Right. but i'm also saved by grace um i am on my on my way to i am justified and sanctified and on my way to being sanctified yeah um and so there has to it has to be it has to be possible um now um do we often see it have we often experienced it i don't know uh not often um, but it has to be possible if, you know, um, that is, that is what we're striving for. Um, and, and it's my pet peeve in the church where we're like, yeah, I'm only human. I'm a sinner. Um, you know, no, well, if you've got Jesus, if you've been reconciled and redeemed by Jesus, then, right. then you have the Holy spirit living in you, you have the power of God living in you. So you can, you have given, you have freedom. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are free in Jesus. And so you, it, it's absolutely possible. Yeah, we've got to, we've got to live into it. We got to trust in, in the Holy spirit to guide us into that. Yeah. So yeah, right, yeah. I'm off my soapbox. No, I'm, I'm on that soapbox with you. Um, as, as, as I have grown in my understanding of the Wesleyan, a Methodist, the Methodist great tradition, it's almost 
empty without the possibility of entire sanctification or perfection. And it seems like, well, nobody can be perfect because God is perfect, or maybe he'll make you perfect when you're in. We can talk at one point later on. I think we'll get to talk about at what point we will be made perfect. Um, But it's not talking about holier than thou. Um, John Wesley mentions perfect in love which is not a cop-out. It's amazing. And I would point all of you to a resource that I put in the show notes. Uh, a show gr- notes. Uh, yeah, show a notes. great fella um, named Matthew. And I think it's Matthew Johnson. He does an email newsletter called The Guide to Holiness. And what he does and every, it comes out like maybe once or twice a, a month. And the, it says, this newsletter contains a testimony to entire sanctification. Um, and it tells stories of just testimonies uh, from 18th, 19th century and yeah. on of people who have experienced Christian perfection. Mm-hmm. And it's inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think I shared with you guys, you know, Kevin Watson's coming up with a new book called Entire Sanctification. Praise yeah. the um, Lord. I mean, uh, and he's he's got a big thing about, I mean, that that is the great deposit of Methodism yep. is the idea of entire sanctification. And that, that simply means that we do believe that yes, we can not sin, um, yeah. that we are made perfect. And again, not holier than thou, but, um, right. and in this life. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think we need to reclaim that as Wesleyans. Claim I agree. Sure. Go ahead, Jim. And I'll throw one more resource for those who want to do some uh, reading on their own uh, just uh, one helpful way to understand the relationship of sin in, a, in the believer and onward and towards perfection is to read John Wesley's sermon on sin in the believer. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. On sin in believers is what it's called. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And, uh, and I, I agree with you both that this is one of the things, um, that, uh, you know, I like how you put it, Jim, how you said, it's not that somebody made it up. It's just that it was there in scripture and someone took and, codified it they they, they made it they made they, they this became it. a they named, they it. named it and that's what wesley was doing and he didn't he wasn't unique in this this was a rich tradition he's drawing from from the primitive church the reformed church all this that he is drawing from um and, you know scripturally you know you've got jesus saying in matthew 5 48 be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect um he's not saying try to be perfect or hey look i'm going to tell you something but you're not going to reach it anyway he says be perfect you've got god himself saying to the Israelites, be holy as I am holy, an expectation there of, of being like God. Um, you've even got Paul in, I think it's Ephesians 3, if I'm not mistaken, where he says, uh, where he says uh, the, same, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Mm. <laughs> like, so again, we are without excuse in that whole just kind of trope of I'm not perfect, just forgiven becomes it becomes almost a cop out, a way of it's justifying. Excuse. Yes, it's justifying. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And now, if you play it out to a little bit of logic, you diminish Jesus really badly. Very much. And so. I don't think that you want to do it. I think that for every little tweetable theological statement you make, that you should be required to play it out in five logical steps to see if it still holds up. Hey, listen, I agree with that. I agree 100% with that. Okay, Professor Jim. All right. Um, so just, just in recovery for my perfectionism over here. 
I would say that this whole discussion that we've been having for the last several weeks about original sin, about um, the corruptibility of humanity, all of this, that it matters greatly because it reminds us that we stand in need of redemption. If nothing else sticks with you over these last few weeks, let this be that thing that bottom line, if you will, that we stand in need of redemption. We are in need of reconciliation. We are in need of salvation. We are in need of spiritual and physical healing. We are in need of being brought back to our original estate, uh, Mm. being brought back to the way we are created. That's why this matters, and that is the great message of hope that the gospel has and that we as Christians have for the world around us mm. um, to, to make it right. I was thinking, so I'm, I'm reading the Bible in a year, and um, we I just finished Job not uh, a few weeks ago. That's a hard read, actually. It really is a hard read. And um, so we just I just finished Job, and there are these incredible moments in Job of, of just kind of testimony of, um, you know, though you slay me, though you destroy me, though you break me, I will not, I will, I will, I will worship. I will, um, I will glorify God, this whole idea of no matter what comes my way. And so the question I had when you hear Job say that. To God, though you you destroy me, I will worship you. Why? What gives him the 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 moxie to say that? Even if you destroyed me, I will worship you. And I, I have to believe that somewhere in Job's mind and his heart of hearts was this understanding of this is not the way it's supposed to be. Boom. This is not the way it's supposed to be. There is redemption on the other side of this. Mm. And so that is what Jesus makes real for us, is that that reconciliation and that redemption. And in just two episodes, so next episode, let me just kind of give a foreshadow as we start uh, kind of winding down a little bit of this episode. Next episode, we're going to be dealing with a, a question that Wesley completely revises, and we'll talk about why he revises that. We'll be also dealing with the state of misery that we are in, as the catechism would put it. Particularly, one of the things we will be talking about that comes out of that is um, hell, and so you'll want to join us for that discussion, because I do think yes, that's an important us, Join us, join us, us in, in hell. hell. <laughs> That is an important discussion for us to be able to have with each other. <laughs> if you didn't know if you were going to tune in to next episode, just listen to this. The Catechism says, the pains of hell forever. Don't you want to join us? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, if, anyway, there's so much more we can go into, but we won't give away uh, give away the show. Well, I'll but just then, say real quick. I'll just say real quick, Brett, that mm-hmm. I think um, – it ties in because our understanding of original sin and whether or not we are in need of redemption or not determines our eternal destination. 100%. Um, and so mm. whether or not we choose to be separated from God uh, mm-hmm. for eternity in, in, in what we call hell mm-hmm. or um, eternal uh, life with Jesus Christ. And so Absolutely. it is um, this whole idea of of being in need of redemption uh, because of our our sin, eternal consequences, eternal right, consequences. Right. Mm. And then the episode that comes after we talk about the misery of the estate that we are in now will be the question: Who is the redeemer of mankind? Mm. 
Hmm. And then we start into a multi a multi-part series on Jesus Christ and why he matters. And so that's kind of where we are going in the next few episodes. We really believe that this matters. Um, uh, we, we, we cannot say, and Jim, I appreciate you bringing this up. We, we cannot say that, um, you know, we've just made a mistake. You know, that we're, we're fundamentally good, but we mess up from time to time. No, we're fundamentally broken and fallen. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so God has done something about it. He's done something about it. Any, anything else before we start uh, winding up here, guys? Man, it was good to be with you all. Pot of humans, I'd love to hear. Just go back and hit us up in the comments on some of your reactions. I need I need your thoughts on zombies and sin because I might need to write a little a little blog post about that. Yeah. And also, I hope you all will stay on for just a few more minutes to check out uh, the little gift from the Potokesis brand. Yes. Let me tell you a little bit about it before we uh, close out. But um, as Jim said, uh, uh, hit us up on social media at Potokesis, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can also email us questions at Potokesis.com and you can call us. Guys, did you know we have a voicemail? We got a voicemail. We have voicemail. We have voicemail. I love voicemail. And if you leave a voicemail with us, we may play it. On the podcast. That and is a way you can have your voice on the Podakesis podcast. Let me leave that number for you. That is 404-635-6679. Leave your voicemail. Let us know what you're thinking if you got questions or comments about these episodes. So um, in August, let me tell you a little bit about what we're doing. In August, uh, guys, I started uh, doing a little something for our teacher. St. Luke Church has a school connected to us. Last August? Uh, last August, yes. Okay. Yes. And um, so we were coming back to school in the midst of a pandemic, and I knew our teachers were stressed out. We were stressed out. We didn't know what was going to happen with this. And so um, I just decided on a lark to write a basically one page devotional on Psalm number one and send it out to the uh, send it out to the teachers. Um, and then the next day I wrote a page devotional on Psalm number two, and I just kept doing it. Well, um, I'm at Psalm 101 as of today, and we'll be finished uh, just before school ends here. And a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I was just thinking to myself, man, I'd really love to take these devotions and kind of polish them up a little bit and maybe record them vocally. And so... What we're going to do starting on Ash Wednesday as we uh, start uh, Lent, um, the Podakesis podcast will be presenting a daily devotional through the Psalms uh, just for you. And to give you a sneak peek of that, at the very end of this episode, as the music fades out, we'll give you the first episode of that for Psalm 1 uh, from the daily devotional through the Psalms. And not only will you love it, but you'll be even more impressed that Brett did it all on a lark because larks are very small birds. They are. It's been, it was, in, in fact, he, that, he, yeah, that didn't go very as well as you thought it would. <laughs> Somebody appreciates that joke. This is Jim Morrow <laughs> signing off. That's absolutely right. Well, all right, Potted Humans, we have enjoyed having you on the next episode. We will be dealing with two more questions. One is a complete revision, uh, questions 19 and 20. Of the Potokesis pod, uh, I mean, of the John Wesley, John Wesley's revision of the Shorter Catechism, and we'll be dealing with this misery issue, the the issue of hell and, and whatnot, as we end this series from the Catechism on sin itself. 
And uh, we are excited about what God is going to do in that and excited about what God is bringing up as we start talking about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Until then, uh, this has been the Podakesis Podcast. I'm Brett Maddox for Jim and Alan, and we will holler at you next time. Y'all have a good one. Hey, y'all, Brett Maddox here from the Podakesis Podcast, welcoming you to this episode of A Daily Devotional Through the Psalms. Today, we start this devotional journey through the Psalms with the first psalm in the book of Psalms, Psalm number one. In order to get the most out of this devotional, it might be helpful for you to go ahead and pause this podcast and go ahead and read Psalm one in your favorite Bible translation, and then come back to the podcast for the devotional piece. If you're not able to pause this podcast at this moment, go ahead and listen to the devotional. We'll make a point to go back and read Psalm 1 today. I have come to love the Psalms. This ancient prayer and worship book has a way of speaking to us in our joys, hurts, mountaintop experiences, and journeys through the valleys of life. There is a reason that the book of Psalms resides in the heart of the Bible. It speaks to our hearts. The book of Psalms is actually five books representing the Torah or the Pentateuch. It is five books of 150 different prayers, songs, meditations, laments, etc. that are bound together into a singular volume. Think of it like a poetry anthology, or even a hymnal, a very old hymnal that directs our worship. Psalm 1 is not only the first psalm of the first book of Psalms, which constitutes Psalm 1 through 41, but it is actually a prologue psalm to the entire Psalter. It sets the tone for this ancient book of worship. The first psalm tells us that there are basically two paths in life. One is the path that leads to destruction. This is the path that doesn't take God seriously. It is the path that doesn't seek to be obedient to the commands of God. This is the path that is full of pride and conceit, selfishness, idolatry, apathy, and on and on and on. I'm sure you get what I mean. The other path is one that is humble is joyfully obedient to God, selfless, worships none other than God alone. The psalmist says that this person is like a tree that is planted near water. Uh, They are strong. Nothing can knock them down. Are we one who sits at the seat of the foolish and scoffers, or are we ones who are like trees that are planted by the water? Which path are we on? In the first psalm, it says that one of the hallmarks of a person who is like a tree planted is that they will meditate on God's law day and night. The word law is where we get the Hebrew word Torah. This can be translated law, instruction, commands. In the case of the first psalm, it definitely does point back to the 613 laws and commands of God in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. But it also tells and points to the idea of learning from instruction, this instruction from God, 
We are being taught by the Holy Spirit what it means to be an adopted child of God, what it means to live under God's house rules, and what it means to represent Him in the world today. We have a tremendous responsibility to teach the world what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That only can happen if our roots are deeply planted. So I invite you to join me in meditating on God's Word so our roots will grow and we will not wither, but we will prosper in all that we do. So take time, read Psalm 1 again, slowly, intentionally, and worshipfully. And may God's Word bless you today. Today's daily devotional through the Psalms is brought to you by the Podkesis Podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters, hosted by Alan Kaysen, Jim Morrow, and me, Brett Maddox. We invite you to check out the Podkesis Podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or at podkesis.com.